Thank you so much for hitting the play button on this special edition podcast on aduffsaid.com. It was a live report on a TV station in West Virginia that got the whole country talking. And now we're starting to experience, unfortunately, in freeze-thaw, we see this, water main breaks. Got hit by a car, but I'm okay. I just got hit by a car, but I'm well, okay, Tim. That's first um, for you on okay. TV, Tori. We're all good. I'm okay. Yeah, you know, that's live TV for you. It's all good. I actually got hit by a car in college, too, just like that. Wow. I am so glad I'm okay. That was local TV news reporter Tori Yorgi. She was doing that live report about a water main break by herself in the dark when she was hit by a car. Now, you may be asking yourself, well, why was she alone in the dark doing a live shot? Shouldn't someone else have been there to not only handle the camera aspect of it, but, I don't know, maybe look out for her safety? Well, you would think there would be, but local news stations across the country over the last several years have been using journalists in a role that many of us in the business like to call an MMJ. Now that stands for Multimedia Journalist. It sounds like someone that would report the news for many different media platforms. But in reality, it's a term used for a reporter that performs a number of different tasks by themselves, and that includes doing live shots in public. One former reporter has seen enough of this practice. Nicole Val spent 10 years in the TV news business. She recently got together with some of her former colleagues to talk about the story that no one is talking about regarding what happened to Tori Yorgi. Seeing Tori's video, I want to know from you guys, what was the what was the most disturbing part about it? If you could pick one part of the video that was the most disturbing, what would you say? The I'll start. She thought she had to keep going. Okay. Right? Yeah, she had to, so Chris, you said she had to, the fact that she thought- Because she I know that I've been there. I've been sexually harassed. I've been harassed. I've been threatened while I'm on live TV. And I, I've had to keep going and I know exactly she got hit by that car. She was terrified. And she had to act like everything was fine and just, and then she finished her live shot. Isn't that amazing? It's like, that's not what, what? <laughs> like she shouldn't have had to do that. That's, 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 the, that's the real story that no one's talking about in this Guys, entire thing. When you played that video, the camera was on the ground and so was she. Nicole is a former Michigan resident. She graduated from Wayne State University and then became a reporter. Breaking news unfolding right behind us here in Weber County. I'm going to step out of the way and show you a plane has crashed right in the middle of the road here. We are in Roy on 1900 West and 4500 South. Our KSL crews were only about a block away and witnessed this crash happen. Now that she is out of the business, she is advocating for not just the safety of journalists, but their mental health as well. I caught up with her recently to talk about her new projects to bring awareness to a number of issues going on right now in the local TV news business. Many of the stories that we're about to share reflect problems that aren't just isolated to a couple of stations. No, this is industry-wide, and she says the time for change is now. Nicole Val wants to be a voice for the voiceless for those in the TV news business, and our conversation starts now. So I am really glad that we finally have somebody who is speaking out against some of these issues that we are having in the TV news business. 
it's not easy to find somebody who's willing to speak up for what has been going on for a long time now. And certainly the general public doesn't know what's going on. So what really inspired you to take this new role on? Well, a lot of things. My career, first of all, in working in television for a long time, eight years total, um, and and also the incident that came up recently in the news with Tori Yorgi, the the um, the um, West Virginia reporter that was hit by the car on live TV. Uh, I got a bunch of messages from a bunch of my friends in the business saying, you know, oh my God, you know, did you see this? Did you see this? And the story that they were painting on the actual news was, oh my gosh, she's a hero. She got up right back up and got her, did her job. And I'm like, that's not the story we need to be, you know, telling. The story we need to be telling is why is she out there alone doing her job? Why is she out there alone doing her job at night with no photographer? And so I was like, you know what? Let's, let's jump on a, like a call and then let's talk about this. And it's exposing the truth of the television news industry and as a mentor for women who are leaving the business, I felt, you know, it's important. It was my duty almost to, to tell the story of what's really going on in the TV news industry and how backwards it is and how the story they were painting with particularly with Tori Yorgi was backwards. And so I'm like, we got it. We got to talk about this. This is not, you know, this is not what needs to be the storyline that needs to be had. It was, we need to talk about what's really going on. The fact that there's young journalists that think the TV news business is glamorous and they're ambitious and they want to get in it. Like I was, you know, years ago. And then they realize you're going to work for peanuts. Your salary is going to be, you know, very low. You're going to be doing the job of four different people and you're going to be putting your life in jeopardy most days. So, that's the part uh, that people don't know about when they get into the TV business is, uh, and I was like, we need to talk about that story. So that's kind of how this whole thing started with me speaking out against the industry, not against, but exposing the truth of the industry, because I do love journalism. Don't get me wrong. I was a journalist and I still am in many ways, but the truth about the TV broadcast industry that needed to be shared is what I felt I needed to, to talk about. In after that Tori Yorgi incident. I had the exact same reaction that you did when I saw that video. Right away, I knew she was by herself. I could tell, having done hundreds of live shots myself over the years, I knew instantly that happened as a result of somebody not being with her to be able to warn her that, hey, there's a car coming. You need to move. Get out of the way. Mm -hmm. Somebody should mm -hmm. have been there to pull her to safety, and there wasn't. Mm -hmm. And we mm -hmm. are seeing that happen more and more in the business in which people are being asked to do them their jobs, like you said, by themselves in the dark. That's not safe at all. And I wanted to give you a no. good example of, of where this business is right now because as I was thinking about all the things that I wanted to talk to you about this subject, Nicole, one of the things that came to my mind yesterday was that if you go to a TV news station, it's like a fortress. You can't just walk in as a citizen of the public not working at that station. You can't just walk in there. You can't even get into some stations in their parking lot. They have security. They have barriers. They have all sorts of people that are watching these stations. They take security at the station very seriously. 
So why is it not the same for when they send their employees out into the field when they are branded, they're in a mobile billboard, they probably got gear with station logo on it, people can see that they've got the camera crews and stuff, so why aren't they taking that security measure seriously too? Oh, what a great point. You know, I never even thought of that. Yeah, yeah. Every station that I've ever worked at is locked down. You have to have gated gated entry, you know, key fob entry, or you have to have some sort of it's it's not easy to get on the property of a news station. But the property of the news station, aka the reporters, can go out and without safety measures, a lot of the times without proper, you know, equipment and gear that can help them, you know, or the cars that they're driving are faulty. I mean, I've driven, you know, uh, as an MMJ, I, I drove cars that had every single light on. You had to, I had to get in through the passenger seat. They're, like the safety of the reporters is, a, is an afterthought almost. And so it's such a sad reality in the business that no one really knows about. And especially, you know, those who are in college that are ambitious and wanting to, you know, get into this career you know, for a profession, these are the things that they need to know. And it's a lot of the times, it's a sad reality that a lot of these stations, they're trying to save a dollar, right? So they're paying these reporters less, giving them not the proper equipment, Say, you know, I interviewed someone on my own podcast talking about, uh, he covered a hurricane and um, he was stuck in floodwaters and called his news director and said, hey, where do I go for safety? They were like, we don't know. Sorry. And the, the news director hung up the phone. It's like, okay, well, your employer's telling you in that moment, they don't care about you. They don't care about your life or your safety. So a lot of the times, and there's not even protocols or policies in place to make sure there's a plan to make sure your reporters are safe when they're out in the field. So that is a problem in the business, a big problem, in my opinion. I watched that podcast that you did. You did a great job with, I, I think his name was Ian Dimbley. Yes. He, uh, telling that story, I, I was just like, you got to be effing kidding me. They left this dude alone in a hurricane. How unsafe mm -hmm. is that? I mean, that's like putting them in danger. And I got to be honest with you. We see those shots all the time with reporters out in the rain during hurricanes. Winds are blowing by. You think they're about to get hit by debris or be blown away. And I'm thinking it's probably time to retire that live shot altogether. We can see that there is danger out there. There are so many Skynet cams and things that stations have nowadays that can portray what's going on weather-wise. Why do we continue to do that hurricane live shot with people out there risking their lives just to tell people don't go outside right now? Ratings. It's the, inter it's, it's the entertainment value of seeing an actual human being being pummeled by water. Uh, it's the, you know, you know, everyone watches the Al Roker, you know, videos where he's like swaying in the wind, you know, in a hurricane, it's, it, they're shareable, they're clickable, they're, they're watchable. And it, 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 at the end of the day, it's, it's money over, over safety. It's, it's what the station can gain from, from putting someone's life in jeopardy that they, that, that the human element is an afterthought in my opinion. And so um, I think, and I agree with you, we should be retiring these live shots. There are people that, you know, and, and listen, don't get me wrong. Okay. Every reporter I've ever known is a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. We, we run towards the danger. We actually enjoy some of this, the adrenaline that comes along with doing that. But 
in the case of watching a reporter get hit by a car on TV, when do we draw the line? When do we draw the line of safety? When do we put policies in place? When do we have an oversight, you know, entity that's watching over bodies, physical bodies of reporters that are going out? Because we don't in the industry. There's no OSHA, quote unquote. There's no, you know, occupational health or safety organization making sure that there's policies in place for reporters when they're out in the field. It just doesn't exist in the business. So why doesn't it exist? And those these are the questions I'm posing to to the industry as a whole. Why are why aren't we doing this yet? Why aren't we protecting the people that are going out to do the news? It doesn't make sense to me. You said something that I really applauded in your initial podcast. You said, "Why did they send her to a water main break?" Because as a photojournalist, I have been on many water main break stories, but they were always just VOs, just video for the anchor to talk over while I showed where all the water was spilling out onto the road, construction crews working to fix it. You know, that seemed like such a minor story for a live shot. And so I figured, okay, maybe they're going to do it. Maybe there's some essential hard news element there. But in all the years that I was doing it, I never did a live shot for a water main break. I mean, I have, and I guess, you know, it depends on the news that day. Like, you know, maybe they were there, maybe there just wasn't a lot of news and they just needed a reporter on it. There's a lot of different factors that come into play, you know, when it comes to why reporters do live shots for certain things. But for that, it was like, you can't even see it. First of all, it's you're in the dark. You're not going to, what are you going to see? You exactly. Know? And she's soloing it. that too. She's standing in front of it. So she's pretty much covering the entire background. So you can't really tell what's going on behind her anyway. It's the sake, it's the live shots for the sake of being live for no reason that are just need to stop in the business. Not even, not to mention the solo live shots that are going on with, with these multimedia journalists that are doing it all on their own. And it's, you know, we have consultants that come in and to the stations and they say, we need more live shots. That's what the people want. Give the people what they want. They have this research. They come in, they say, we need to do more live shots. Well, okay. Then the station says we got to do live shots no matter what. So then you're live for just, and we call in the business, live for the sake of being live. It doesn't matter. You, you know, you're just out, not in the studio or there's no, you know, you have to be on location for people to get, to get people's attention that are watching the news. Well, first of all, there's not a lot of people watching the news anymore, you know, period. Like the, the, you know, there's a big decline in, in viewership revenues down overall and so they're trying to do whatever they can to gain um, views and get more ratings to get more advertisers to make more money, right? It's all about money at the end of the day, but they're putting the money part over the safety element of the people that are they're working for them. That's what I don't understand. It's like, it's got to stop. That, you know, someone's really going to get hurt. That's what really made me sad about the national news coverage that the Tori Yorgi video got because I felt like this was a major opportunity for the people at the very top, the ones who really ask the hard questions and examine things that go on. This was a chance to really shine some light on a dangerous issue that all journalists face and instead they just talked about well, look how selfless she is. She got right back up. She did her live shot. I think you mentioned one article that quoted her as being a badass for being able yeah. to do her live mm -hmm. shot. And I was just thinking, no, this is not the story here. This is a chance Every, to... Yeah. yeah. 
everyone in the in and in the industry that I'm I'm in, in in these groups and you know everyone who's in the industry knows that that storyline was skewed and it shouldn't have been that way. But the people that are currently working in the business can't speak up about it because they're fear they're in fear of losing their job or in fear of not getting another job if they do speak up. You know, it's and so for me, I don't I don't have that risk. I don't have you know I don't have any of that over my head because I'm out of the business at this point. So I'm, I'm I have the opportunity to speak up for for the people who are still in the industry, and I was one of them, right? You know, I've I've been put in dangerous situations as a solo you know video journalist. Uh, reporter, you know, and so it's, it's, it's a, it, it, the storyline that the national news chose over the actual storyline that should have been told was very disappointing, in my opinion. Watching the, you know, Today Show anchors talk about how she was a hero and make her out to be some, you know, uh, badass, as the headline said, which great, she did. She got up, she did, she did her job, but, but at, at the end of the day, why was she out there alone? Why was she out there alone? It shouldn't be the norm in the business. It wasn't before, you know, like when I was, MMJs just started to be popular, like right around 10 years ago, you know, there weren't really, in my opinion, or or maybe before that, I don't know, but it wasn't a norm in the business before, you know, I got in. So I just don't understand why they didn't take that opportunity I mean, I say I don't understand, but I know why they didn't, because it's the media business talking about the media business. They're not going to whistleblow themselves. They're not going to, you know, t- expose the truth behind why she was alone. You know, they, they weren't going to do that because that's that's not the angle that they wanted, you know, to, to, to chase. They wanted to chase the the oh, look at this reporter. She did such a great job. Clap, clap, clap we're so proud of our journalists out there that put their lives at risk every day. No, let's talk about how we can prevent this from happening again. And it was a disappointing thing to watch when they had the opportunity and they didn't take it. I think in a lot of ways that actually let both her station and great television, the ownership company of that station WSAZ in West Virginia, I felt like that really let them off the hook for something that they really dropped the ball on and putting her out there by herself. And by not mentioning that, I feel like that gave them the opportunity to take some heat off themselves when I really felt like the, either the news director of that station or the general manager should have come forward and said, you know what, that was the result of us you know, not really taking her safety into account by giving her a partner on a story that we felt was important enough to have a live element to it. Well, not only did the station not say anything, and the owner, the owners of the state, so so WSAZ ownership is Gray Television. They never had a statement come out about what happened about about Tori Yorgi. The 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 station management never said anything publicly about why she was out there alone. I mean, they're just trying to like thwart the issue to just kind of get by because they know that they're in the business. They know that there's a problem. They don't want to address. And I think that that is a big problem overall. But I will say, because of as a result of the Tori Yorgi story, as a result of these conversations being started, I personally have had news directors email me with their new policies, safety policies for their reporters. There is some change happening at a small level, you know, 
in some way in the business because there are those station managers that do care about the safety of their people. And to have a news director reach out to me and share their safety policy that they just implemented at their station to make sure that their MMJs are, are, are going to be safe. And if they don't feel safe, that they have a written policy to turn to to leave. That is the change that we're trying to make by sparking these conversations. And I want every young journalist to know who is ambitious and wants to get into this business to know that there is another side to this that they should explore, you know, before they take that first job. You know, ask them about these policies. What kind of safety policy do you have if I'm going to be out shooting by myself? I would like to see that before they sign on to any station, before they sign any contract. These are conversations that they need to be having with stations ahead of time. And so to know that we are making some kind of change in the business is the the only reason that I even wanted to start these conversations. And it looks like we're doing a little bit of good in all this. So that's that's a positive uh, in all this. One of the things you talked about is this job is not as glamorous as it's often portrayed. I know that when we were coming up as college kids, we thought this is the great life to have. And you're on television, you're getting a chance to live the life that you saw other people do on TV, and now it's your turn. But it's not as glamorous as people might think it is. I mean, I know a lot of people, they used to think we had hair and makeup people that always took care of us right when we came in to get us ready to be on TV. People thought that we had all these perks. We were making lots of money. And it's really not like that at all. It's the exact opposite. (laughs) One of the things you talked about is that when you get into this business, when you initially start, you're making peanuts to start. The first job that I got offered in the business back in 2001, they were only going to offer me $13,500 to start. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I looked at the numbers and I said, there is no way I can come out here two states over from where I already live, get an apartment and try to make it on that. And then a couple months ago, I heard a friend of mine who works at uh, one of the stations here in Metro Detroit, her first job she got offered, it was a little bit better. It was $20,000. And she was saying, well, if I can just make it on that for two years, then we'll see what happens. And obviously it worked out for her. She got a job in a much bigger market. But yeah, when you're a young journalist, there are so many ways that the deck is stacked against you. Oh, yeah. And, and not only with Sal, I mean, I, I, I remember my first job in, in Tyler, Texas. I, I, it was at KETK. It was an NBC and Fox affiliate there. And I got offered $23,000 a year. Um, to, to move like 2000 miles away from home. Um, and they, by the way, they only paid like a thousand dollars for me to move. So it was like, you know, I had to move some out of pocket, you know, and then I had a roommate, I was donating plasma to like make more money to buy groceries. I, you don't have makeup people. We were working out of a station that was literally falling apart. I remember editing one time and a ceiling tile fell on me while I was in the editing booth because the building was literally crumbling. I mean, and you're working for, I, I worked as a waitress. Okay. Just to paint the picture. I worked as a waitress in college. I made more money waitressing in college than I did my first two years in my professional career with a college degree in television news. I was making more money as a waitress than I did the first two years in television. And so there is, yes, while it appears to be glamorous, 
Yes, you are on the television. Yes, you are a voice for your community. Yes, there are positive, you know, I don't think the TV thing was, you know, it came with the job for me. I'm a storyteller. I don't care about the medium. But when it, when it comes to how glamorous really is it, talk to anybody who's in the business. I'll tell you it's not glamorous at all. You're, you're doing your own makeup. You're working for pennies. Uh, a lot of the times you have to have a second job. I had many friends that had a second job to make ends meet to be on TV. Like, so this is the reality of the business. And they warn you in college, well, you're not, you know, you'll, it'll take time to move up. You have to pay your dues and all that. And yes, is there money to be made at the end? Sure. And those big network jobs and the big, you know, if you're really great. At the end, I was making six figures. I made six figures working for Scripps Television as a national correspondent. Yeah, that was great money. But I had no life. <laughs> <laughs> I was traveling six days a week. And I had enough time to come home and do my laundry and then turn around and go to the next assignment. Um, I miss funerals. I miss weddings. I miss holidays. I mean, I mean, your life, you end up being married to your job. But I took a $40,000 pay cut to leave the business to be happy, you know. And so money isn't everything. I get that. But when you're first starting in this business, you are not making a lot of money and you have to be aware of that if you want to enter this as a career. It's just the reality of it. It's not glamorous. A lot of it is not glamorous until you reach those network jobs, which are few and far between. So that, yeah, that's it. You told me this also took a tremendous strain on your mental health too. What exactly did you experience? You know, I actually, so, um, <laughs> you don't really realize how much of a mental toll it takes on you for me, at least until I left the business. So I was diagnosed with, with PTSD from witnessing a lot of tragedy, right? I've seen more dead bodies than I can care to count. I've seen dead children. I've seen planes crash in front of me and people run out of burning flames in front of my eyes. You don't really get a chance to process what you're experiencing when you work in the news industry because you're in the next day you're on to the next tragedy. And so I didn't realize after, you know, years and years and years of seeing and witnessing all this, not to mention your hours that you're working, you're always working. You're always on call. You're always waiting for the next big breaking story to leave, to go to, you know, um, you don't really realize the constant stimulation that you are experiencing and the constant stress that, you, that your body and your mind is under when you work in the news and news business, not to mention seeing all the horrible things that you're covering. I mean, in any major, major weather event, you're literally seeing an entire town be destroyed. And so, and so having years and years and years of that, not realizing I'm experiencing trauma with my career after, you know, a number of years of that, I, I had a breaking point and I ended up taking some disability leave from my last job because I, my mental health was so bad and it wasn't being addressed. There's not a lot of mental health support in the business either. And so PTSD, th PTSD is a real thing when it comes to not only first responders and police officers and military people, but journalists who are out there covering and seeing a lot of the same things. It's just not a told story very often. We don't talk about the PTSD that comes with being a journalist. We just, it's just not talked about. And so 
I, I finally realized I was having these mental health struggles at the tail end of my career. And I said, this is not worth it to me. You know, I was having suicidal ideation. I was in the hospital. I had to take off time and get, you know, a therapist because I never had time working in the news to, to, to think about your mental health because you're on to the next tragedy in 24 hours. So for me, it was a, not a decision I made for myself. My body made the decision for me to leave because my, my mental health was in such bad shape. And I said, what matters more, my health, my mental health, or my job? And to me, it was my mental health and my body that, that meant more. And so that's where I ended up, you know, my breaking point in leaving the business was just, if you don't, <laughs> I love this quote, if you don't make time for your mental wellness, it will, you'll be forced to make time for your mental illness. And that is exactly what happened to me. And so it's something that needs to be talked about as well. Not only the safety, the physical safety of reporters, but I think the mental health support that is lacking in the business that is just not there. You know, I covered dead baby after dead baby and no one asked me how I was doing, you know, and it's like that stuff weighs on you after a while. And so there's just so much wrong with the business that needs to be talked about. It's just not being talked about. It's just not. And it's sad and it needs to be. So, well, Nicole, I'm really glad that you got the help that you needed because that is something that I don't think people do take into consideration. I don't think the general public thinks about that. And I certainly don't think management thinks about that because obviously they're concerned about the next story. When can you be ready mm -hmm. to go? And I hope to God they didn't say to you, okay, well, when you get back, uh, when are you going to be able to go to that next story? I hope that that wasn't the case when you applied for disability. Oh, they didn't even, you know, they're not allowed to ask you why. They're not allowed to ask a lot of questions why you take disability or whatever. And so they never even asked why, why left, you know. And so it, it was just a telling sign that they don't really care about the human element of being an employed, employed by a news organization. They don't care about their employees. And it was evident for me. And I even saw it even more clear when I left the business and realized you can work for an employer that cares about your mental and physical well-being. You know, I work for a large health organization now as a, as a internal communications manager. Basically I do the news for a hospital system for inside, inside my hospital system. And so, and, but there is not a single day that I can't call my boss and say, Hey, I have a doctor's appointment. I have a therapy appointment. Uh, I'm going to miss this meeting. Oh, go right ahead. You know what? That comes first. Your mental and physical health comes way before your job. You take that time. And that's foreign. You don't get that. And when you're working in the news business, you don't get that support from your leadership. You don't get that support from your managers to say, hey, I had a really hard story. I'm not doing too well. Oh, well, can you be there? We need you here at this time. They don't care. They're all they worry. All they're worried about is getting a story on air. They don't care about what it takes to get it on. And they don't care about the person behind who's doing the story at the end of the day, how many years of trauma that they've been experiencing. So leaving the business really woke me up to what it's like to have a healthy, supportive employer. And that is why I'm so vocal about, you know, people who 
are at their end in the industry. I work with women and a mentor for women. They are at their mental health end and they're stuck with a contract. They can't leave and they don't, they're desperate and they don't know what to do. So I try to be help them as much as I can and say, you know, Hey, these are your avenues. Here's your options. This is what I've experienced. Here's what it looks like outside the business. You do what you is best for you, but this is what it can be. And so I take that work seriously because I was that person, you know, that needed help and I didn't have anybody. And so, um, it's just a real thing that's just not talked about and it should be. And, and, and I feel for all these journalists that are stuck in these contracts currently that are struggling with no support in their job. I can't imagine being an employer and not caring about the people that are working for you. And that's the reality in the, in the TV industry. It's just, it just, uh, from top down, it's toxic. And I will take that phrase to my grave because I, it's just not a healthy industry to work in. No, it is not. It is not good for your mental health. It's not good for your overall health because you work the worst hours imaginable. And sometimes it's hard to just stop and take a break, get something to eat. And usually you're probably not eating the best food because you're probably on a story. So you got to grab something from some fast food joint all the time. You don't have time to really prepare uh, a nice healthy meal so you just have to grab whatever you can or you have to eat your meal cold because you're on them on your way to either a story or you're on your way back to the station to put that story together for live on air and the... funny story about that really oh, quick oh go I, right ahead I, I used to bring so just just the food in the fields angle is like i used to bring you because you don't know when you're going to eat right god bless microwaves and gas stations because that's the only way you can heat up your food but if you don't have that and you forgot to bring your lunch or whatever I always brought my lunch because you never know you're going to be I had to I have to there was one time we were in the middle of nowhere and I I wanted to heat up my food I put it in the car engine to heat it up oh my gosh my my glass Tupperware in the uh, open the hood of the 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 news car and I put the food in on top of the engine just to warm it up a little bit so I can enjoy it. Like these are the things that people do for work at work to eat food. That's a basic necessity. (laughs) Yeah. So at my last station, uh, when the pandemic started, uh, they had a rule that certain reporters and photographers were not allowed in the building at all because we were trying to keep everybody socially distanced, as they said. And so one of the photographers was with his uh, reporter that he was assigned to. He actually rigged it up to have a microwave in the back of their news van so they could eat warm food at night. And so those are some of the things that they had to come up with. And it's crazy Mm -hmm. that you had to use your car engine to do that. Again, that just gets back to the fact that it's not such a glamorous life that people think we lead. I used to tell people that I was a photojournalist. I was a as they call a multimedia journalist, as the term MMJ is used to describe. And they thought, oh, wow, you must live a really cool life. You get to see all kinds of cool things. And you know what? I got to go to sporting events for free. I got to enjoy meeting with people, telling their stories. But like you said, there's also that horrible aspect of what it can do for your mental health when you see things that are just so unimaginable. And mm-hmm. you are now giving mental health advice to reporters who are in the business or they're trying to transition out. 
And Mm -hmm. I know we've used the word badass a few times, but I think you really are a badass for doing that because there (laughs) is nobody that I know of that is doing that kind of assistance for journalists that are in this business. I, I think there is somebody that needs to speak up for the mental health aspect of it because we talk about MMJs. I don't know how it was for you, but right before I got out of the business last year, an MMJ had to do the following. They had to gather uh, information for a story that they wanted to pitch. They had to go out and do that story. So they were out in the field. They would have to shoot it by themselves. They'd have to write it by themselves. They'd have to edit it. But then on top of all that, you got to do the social media aspect of it. So you got to do Facebook mm-hmm. Live. You've got to tweet about everything. You got to post videos to Twitter. And then you've got to do a web story that's different from the story that you did for TV because you got to separate yep. the two. And mm-hmm. you have to post all of that. And then you got to do FCC reports. You have to do a number of other things in the newsroom. And with stations now doing news, eight or nine hours of news during the day, there's only so much time that you have to do that. The window is so small. And when you take all of those tasks that one person has to do, it's no wonder right now there are so many people that are getting out of this business by the time they hit 30 because the pay sucks and the work is getting to be overbearing because you're doing the job of, like we said, four or five people. The pay that you're getting doesn't reflect that. And you're probably just getting so burnt out on all the things that you're missing out on to be married to your job. So what are some of the horror stories that you're hearing right now from these people that you're counseling on top of what I just mentioned? Oh, yeah. I mean, just the burnout aspect of the burnout aspect of doing all of what you just mentioned is social media, web story, TV story, doing your own live show. I mean, the amount of work that one person does in their shift in one day working as a TV journalist, I don't even do that amount of work in a week that I do in my current role. So, you know, what I always say, if you want to get a job done, hire an old, a former journalist because they are so good at getting things done on deadlines and doing it well that I always say like, they're the best people to hire if they're leaving the business for that reason. But I do hear stories uh, from women all the time that are just, I don't know what to do. It's like, it's like an identity crisis almost. They're so, this is their dream. Their dream was to become a reporter, to be a journalist, to make a difference in their community. And then when they get there, they don't have any support. They turn to their management for help and they're being told that they're complaining and someone else would be happy to be doing their job and they should not complain. Um, And they're making barely any money. They're struggling. There's relationships that are, you know, people that I know that that are married in the business that take a job elsewhere and then they have to leave their husband in a different state. It's just not healthy. And so they they turned to the group that was created. And I don't say the name of the group because it is a private group and we like to keep it that way um, because we don't like news managers to know about it because then, you know, it gets sticky. So so it's a private group that is on Facebook and um, there's a handful of us that are mentors that's that's actually started the group. And I didn't start the group personally, but I was part of the one of the people that was at the beginning. And so I ended up becoming a mentor. Was And, and so I hear all these stories and I talk to uh, my mentees. I usually have weekly or biweekly calls with them. And they know they can turn to me, you know, for 
questions about their kind of, you know, how do I get, what do I do for this contract? Like, can I break my contract? My manager's not supporting me. What should I do? Should I send an email? I mean, just these little questions that I get here and there. And I'm struggling today. I I didn't sleep. Like, they want me to do this story, and I, I just can't. Should I say something? I'm scared. And all the, I mean, you name it. And then I help people get out of the business, too. And then, and that's also a transition. It's like, wait, they're so accustomed to doing a certain amount of work that they realize they don't have to. And so that's an adjustment as well. But that's a different story. But I talk to these women, and it's just heartbreaking because it's like they are – they're floundering. They're like, they're like, you know, treading water trying to survive in a business with no support. And it's like, they don't know where to turn. And so we give them a safe place to share their stories and turn when they, when, when they have those moments. And so, um, you know, it's, I mean, I've heard every story, you name it, I've heard it (laughs) and they're all horrible. And we actually started a anonymous anonymous TV journalist.com it's or dot wordpress.com. So anonymous TV journalist.wordpress.com where it's an anonymous blog of all the MMJ stories, horror stories that people are afraid to speak out about who are working in the business. And we have hundreds of stories on there. So if anyone wants to know what it's really like to work as a TV journalist, I encourage them to go there to read a lot of these personal accounts from these MMJs to see what it's really like because uh, it's not it's not pretty and it's it's actually toxic and there needs to be some change made in the, in the, in the industry as a whole. I'm glad you brought up contracts because I know there might be some people that are listening to this right now and they may be thinking, well, if you don't like it, why don't you just quit? Why don't you just leave? But if you're under a contract, it's not that simple. In fact, it could end up costing you thousands of dollars to get out of the TV business if you are locked into a contract. There are so many horror stories that I have heard about people who've tried to break them. And then I've known other people that have tried to leave just a couple of months early. And it probably cost them somewhere in the neighborhood of four or five grand just to break their contract when a, with a couple of months left. It is crazy how these contracts can put a stranglehold on journalists. Yeah, you know, there are, a lot of the times it's like their mental health is suffering. They don't have, you know, support. They don't know where to turn. And then they say, I'm stuck in this contract for another year. I don't think I can do this. And we have resources and experienced reporters that have gone through, you know, contract, like breaking their contracts. And a lot of times it does cost a lot of money sometimes. And I've had similar friends who have been in the business that have paid upwards of twenty, thirty thousand dollars to get out of a contract a year early. Um, that I sounds like that's more than their actual salary. Yeah, a lot of the times it's unfortunate. But and then they also make them sign these NDAs where it's like, well, we you can't talk about any of the negative things that you've experienced while working for us. So they bind you to not even not only are they making you pay to get out of a toxic situation, they're also telling you that you, that you can't talk about it because they don't want the re- reputation of the media company to be in jeopardy. It's all about money. It's all about, you know, the companies. It's not about the people. And so it's a backwards model and it's not right. And there's a lot of the sad part about this stuff is there's a not a, there's a, so many great reporters, so many talented reporters that want to do this job 
but they simply, the job, they can't keep up with the demands of the mental and the physical and the relationship struggles that come along with being that. So the business as a whole is losing talented journalists daily. There's a mass exodus from TV news right now, and it's been going on for a few years. And it's because it's unsustainable to ask employees to do the jobs of five people without any mental health support, without any really support at all, without any safety equipment or policies they can lean on or, and, or they're binded in these contracts. It's just horrible that we're losing so many talented journalists that care because of the way the industry is designed. It's just horrible in my opinion. So many of the partners that I've had in Flint have actually made that exodus. I've worked with a number of people in the Flint market that even before they were at the age of 35, just decided, I can't do this anymore. I am leaving. I can't take missing out on holidays. I can't take not being able to spend time with my family. Doing all this work and not having the pay reflect the work that I'm doing. I've had a few of my partners that have become mothers recently. And one mm-hmm. of the things they've told me is being a mom and being out of the business is probably the best thing that they ever did. I'm really thrilled that they were able to find that happiness in their life because for so many people, they're just looking at this situation. They say, it's just not worth it anymore. What I wanted to do when I was in college is not what I'm doing right now. And I can't take this shit anymore. I'm just done mm-hmm. with it. And I had a friend uh, who I worked with in the news business. He was in this business for 40 plus years and he just recently retired and he's in his sixties and he's living the good life. Now he had a decorated celebrated career in the TV news business, but I think we're going to see less and less of that. Now I think we're seeing more people just say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not even 30 yet. I'm already ready to try something new. And I, what I say to those people is good for them for recognizing it so soon. You know, there is purpose outside of that you can find outside of the TV news business. There is life after, you know, your dream that you once had. There is life. You can, you can, you have a, such a great set of skills that you learn when you are working as a journalist that they translate to so many other things and so many other careers. And the, I don't know, there's something about reporters that are, they're tenacious. They don't give up. They're, they're driven. They, you know, and so all of that translates and can translate into other careers. It's just a matter of shaping, you know, your resume a certain way. And so, uh, or whatever the case may be, or a lot of people start their own businesses or they become mothers, right? That's the most beautiful job in the whole world, you know, to find purpose in is to become a mother. So I'm so glad that there are people that you know too that are leaving the industry and finding purpose outside of it. Um, but I, you know, it's sad for people who like me, who I thought that was my dream too. I never thought I would leave news and, and, but now here I am outside of news thriving and it is possible. There is life after TV news. And I want people to hear that and to know that, that you don't have to stay in a toxic career just to fulfill a dream at what cost, right? At what cost are you um, trying to live your dream? Are you really happy doing that? And so you have to ask yourself these questions. These are the questions I ask myself. Am I happy? Am I doing that? Am I fulfilling my purpose? Am I changing the community the way that I want to? And all of the answers were no. And so for me, it was like, 
I got to go, you know, and I, and I, now I have a job and I don't even like to call it a job. It's something I really love. It's I'm still storytelling outside of news, but um, I also have more time to do things that I actually am passionate about, like starting my own podcast and, and, you know, doing other passion projects and having activities outside of, you know, uh, just in life, like hobbies that I, that I never knew that I could have because I, I was married to my career. I didn't have the time, you know, you're always working, didn't have the time to do the things that I wanted to do. So now it just gives yourself a balance in life. You know, it was lopsided when I was working in media. Everything was news. Everything my was my media job, my TV job. Now I have less of that and I have more balance in my life, work-life balance. And it's a beautiful place and a more healthy place to be mentally and physically. And so I would encourage people who aren't happy in the business to consider leaving. And if you need support, there are groups out there you know, that they can turn to, um, to, to make that happen. And, and, you know, we've cultivated this really great communities and in the future, we're planning on having in-person conferences and workshops and we're planning all of this stuff. So it'll be great, um, for people, um, who are really wanting to find life after TV news. And so there are, there are resources out there for them. For me, it came down to a simple choice. I realized that what I loved so much was not loving me back. I had a friend who also got out of the TV business. She said it the best way possible. She said, you know what? You're not necessarily leaving this business. You're leaving a bad situation. And that's Mm -hmm. what I was leaving behind. And it happened for a lot of people that I worked with, too. Over the last two years that I was there, I saw a lot of people get let go of that station because of cutbacks to the budget and they were letting key positions just get eliminated or if someone left, they wouldn't fill them. And so it was getting very toxic there because everybody's responsibilities were becoming more and more, but the pay was remaining the same and it just wasn't worth it anymore. And I'm so glad that I made that switch. And I keep telling other people that are still in the business, you know what? If you want to go to another station, if you want to give that a try, see what that's like. But just know you're not getting out. You're just leaving a bad situation. Yeah, well, just a little tease for my episode two on my Sneak and Speak Truth with Nicole Vell, my new podcast that I've started. And it's very new because we're only on episode two. But we do talk about, I interviewed a a former TV news anchor for 16 years. And we talk about um, how she relates the business to being an abusive relationship. And so we talk about that and we talk about like, literally you're in an abusive relationship. You can be in an abusive relationship with another person. You can be in an abusive relationship with your employer. And so it is an abusive relationship. And she makes that connection with working in the media. And so if, if anyone wants to listen to that, it'll be published tomorrow. But, but, um, so, yes, I mean, what you're saying, you're leaving a bad situation. It's like leaving a toxic relationship, but not with a person, with your career. It's just as simple as that. And But that doesn't mean you won't thrive, you know, outside of that relationship someday. There is hope, and you shouldn't give up, and you should always continue to pursue your dreams. That's what I always tell my people that I mentor. You know, there is there, – you know, I hate when people – a lot of the women I mentor say, it's all I know. It's all I know is all I know is working in the newsroom. Well, that might be true, but don't sell yourself short. You can take all those skills that you know and do anything. 
don't give up on yourself that easily. Don't say that you, you're just going to pigeonhole yourself to sticking around a toxic relationship with your employer. You can make a life for yourself outside of a newsroom. And so, you know, I try my best without being a mental health professional. I will say that I am pursuing a, a master's degree in becoming a therapist, but I am not a mental health professional but I do try to help people through my experience that I mentor and say, you can do this. You can, I can, you can, I try to empower them in a way to, to know that they can do it in another way. And where can people find your podcast if they want to listen? They can go just Nicole Dowell. Uh, it's on YouTube right now. I'm working on getting it on Apple and Spotify, but, uh, but right now just Google Nicole Dowell on YouTube. I have a channel and, and all the, all the episodes will come up there. Um, and, and they can, they can watch and view it there or listen there. You know, it is crazy that it took a young woman getting hit by a car on live television to start all of these conversations. If that's what it takes, then I'm willing to at least use that as a stepping stone to hopefully make a change in this business and change for so many people that are just looking for a way out. I'll tell you, I think this should have happened years ago. When we talk about live shot security, really the only thing bad that we had ever experienced as camera crews out in the public were people doing that stupid blank her in the blank meme when you're trying to go live. We had that happen so many times and it got to the point where I asked my news director one day, it's like, can I just hit the next guy who does this because it's getting on our nerves and I know my female colleagues could not stand that because it was so inappropriate, so disgusting. I've never understood what is it about a young woman in front of a television camera that makes a lot of dudes forget their manners and think that it's okay to do something like that. Did you ever experience yeah. that? Oh, yeah. And actually, uh, it's a great segue into our, my, next to- my next guest on my podcast. We talk about the sexual harassment that comes along with being a female journalist. Uh, we, we dive into that topic deep. So I would encourage people to, to hop over and listen to not only my experience, but, uh, but other people's experiences with when it comes to sexual harassment, when it comes to being a TV journalist. But when it comes to the Tori Yorgi incident, I think that those safety instances where there's someone out there alone at work, you know, on a busy road, uh, those those type of safety incidents can and should be prevented. When I was preparing for this podcast, Nicole, when I was getting ready for our discussion, I wanted to talk to somebody who I know what it's like to be a journalist and be a female, and that's my wife. She was a print journalist for a number of years. She eventually found her passion somewhere else. She's now writing and storytelling for a, a major university here in Michigan. But one of the things she told me was is that when you are a reporter in the field and you're a woman, people tend to talk to you differently and people tend to, again, just get really creepy with you and some of the things that you were saying. I mean, she was 22 when she got started and when she was working in my hometown, there were a lot of people that just made inappropriate gestures and things that they were saying to her. And it's just stuff that you don't do to a woman just because she's in the news business. You should be able to treat that person with respect at all times. Talk to that person like you would your own sister or your mother. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, that's just the world we live in. And, and I, I would encourage women who are experiencing this, don't be afraid to speak up to your management, 
to even make a police report. You know, there were several stalking charges and, and, and cases that I had open while working as a reporter. You know, there. this is just what we, we don't sign up for that, but we experience it. So as a female journalist, you, you know, especially in TV, you're a public figure and you, you don't sign up to be harassed, but that is just part of the job. And a lot of the times women are afraid to speak up because they don't want to be, you know, seen as like a, oh, you know, a, a problem, uh, you know. And, and a lot of the times, you know, you don't want to speak up because and I'll just tease the podcast. There's a there's an incident that happened with the the Kim Fisher, the, the person I reported or the the uh, my guest, excuse me, on my next podcast talks about an incident that happened with former Governor Rick Perry in Texas that she was sexually assaulted by him. And so she shares that story um, and how that made her feel. And these are the, these are the things that, you know, we, we don't want to be seen as going against these high powered, you know, people in government sometimes that we, 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 as female journalists, you, you know, you're, you're interviewing a lot of the times high powered attorneys, government officials, lawmakers, you know, police officers, police chiefs, you make claims against them. And then what happens? You know, so that's why we don't there's a lot of the, the there's unreported harassment and sexual harassment in the business because you don't want to take on these big people, these high powered men. And so, you know, it's a, it's a between a it's you're in a rock between a rock and a hard place. You know, you're like, well, I value my career, but I also don't want to be, you know, sexually assaulted while I'm working. But, you know, there isn't a lot of, you know, recourse because there are women that are afraid to speak up about it. And it's sad it's the sad reality of being a, a, a woman journalist, you know, in TV. Sometimes we get prison mail. I'm sure you're, I don't know. If oh, I got gotten, plenty of that know, over the years. Yeah. You get prison mail, you get these creepers like writing how much they, the things they want to do to you. We, you know, they, you get unsolicited photos on, you know, social media that are a body parts. You, you get all of these things and it's, it's not right, but it's part of the, it just it comes with it. But I would say, you know, for your protection or any female journalist protection, don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to report these things. Don't be afraid to even go as far as making a police report if you feel that in danger of your job. Because at the end of the day, it's your job and this is your life. You don't want to put your life in danger because some weirdo is, you know, infatuated with you from prison or whatever the case may be or is stalking you on social media or is showing up at your station. I mean, there are so many, and there's lifetime movies made about this stuff, like reporters that end up, you know, like in bad situations because they didn't report these things. So I would encourage any female journalist to always be, not be afraid to speak up about their personal safety and think about, you know, don't think about what that's going to do to your career because your personal safety is more important than your career sometimes. We have talked so much about the importance of doing away with these solo live shots and not putting people out by themselves. A good example of that is the number of times that I worked with so many amazing female colleagues that were great at their jobs. They were amazing storytellers, and I was fortunate enough to call them my partners in this business. But there were times when we would be doing live shots and people would drive by, they would make disgusting comments, they would do inappropriate eye gestures. They would stare too long in the wrong places. 
kind of comes with the territory, but the one thing that I thought about this whole time as we were getting ready for this podcast, Nicole, is what if I hadn't been there? What if they were by themselves? I mean, how is that safe at all? And surely management at these TV news stations have to realize that. Yeah, yeah. You'd think they would, but I think they're more concerned about the story or or the money over the safety of their reporters. And that's what it comes down to. You know, there is no other explanation, um, in my opinion. There's no other explanation why you wouldn't be putting the safety of your employees first over the story itself, getting the story on air, or the money or what's it going to do to improve rating, whatever the case may be, there should be no reason you're not, you're putting your in or your employee in jeopardy over anything in my opinion at all. What do you hope comes out of your podcast being a guest on my show and the groups that you're working on now? What can we do to really affect change in the news business? And what can we do to get these news managers and the people above them that sit in much higher positions? Because you brought up a great point in your initial podcast. Right now, there are CEOs that are probably making millions of dollars and just don't really care about these issues. They're just worried about, did you get the show on time? Did people watch and how much money did you make me? Mm-hmm. I would encourage people to put the pressure on to ask the hard questions to their news management. What's our policy? What's our safety policy for reporters? I'd like to see that. If we don't have one, why don't we have one? Let's talk about that. Take it to H, take it to whatever policymakers at your station if you're still working in the business. And anyone who is working in or outside the business. Email your, you know, your society of professional journalists, your any journalist organization and speak up and say, well, how can we put the pressure on to make sure that our reporters are safe when they're in the field doing their jobs? Uh, you know, do that little lobbying for yourself, uh, you know, for with with, um, you know, news organizations where there's no really, you know, oversight entity when it comes to safety. So I would say, you know. If we had the SPJs put out a statement or any, you know, like NABJs or any of these journalism organizations. RTNDA. Yeah, RTNDA or any of these that can have a say and put pressure on these media companies. I say that's where we start and that's what we're trying to do. So and also just having the conversation, you know, this podcast is just sparking a conversation and that's you know, pe- making people hopefully think differently and, and, and having those news managers, hopefully, you know, share the pod, share this, share this podcast with the news manager, share my podcast with the news manager and say, what are we talk? Why aren't we talking about this? You know, after the Tory Yorkie incident, I did a poll in one of my groups and 90% of the people said that their news management didn't even bring anything up after about safety. After that incident, they were just sweeping it under the rug. And it's like, well, that's a problem. What's what? what, what <laughs> that's a problem. So, you know, even if you have to send the email from an anonymous email address and just say, watch this podcast or listen to this or, you know, what if you're afraid of your job, you know, I'm trying to collect a lot of, you know, news manager emails and, and, and just ask them what their policies are as like a, you know, grassroots effort to kind of see who has what. But, you know, it's I'm only one person and we're only a small group trying to make this, you know, major change in an industry. If we have more people speaking up, 
before they're entering the business and before they're taking on those first new jobs saying, can I see your policy when it comes to safety if you're going to hire me as an MMJ? Like, let's start there, you know? Let's start there. Let's just start asking the hard questions to the news managers and see where that gets us. That's what I would say. You took it a step further in your last podcast because you suggested that this doesn't just need to happen in the news management level. College professors also have to take the reins on this. And I was thrilled to hear you say that because I know some college professors try to warn young journalists about what they can expect in the business. But when I got into the business a few years, well, not more than a few, it was actually more like 20 plus years. I'm going to give a little (laughs) bit of my age there. But uh, when I was in the business, all I was told is, oh, you're going to be the next Dan Rather. You've got this amazing voice. You clearly have a knowledge for sports. You can tell news stories, too. You're going to go really far. It wasn't until I got my internship that I really got to experience what the business was like. I knew some of the things going in were going to be rough, but I didn't realize that the pay was going to be significantly less than what I anticipated. Nobody warned me about any of that. And now it's gotten even worse because now you're expected to get by on those low salaries, but you're going to be doing the jobs again of like several different people. It's going to be a lot for you to handle and it's not for everybody. It's becoming less and less for everybody. I think it's becoming less inclusive now that they're demanding so much on these people. And usually when you think about stuff like that, Nicole, you think that that's just for like the small markets, the small towns, the Tyler, Texases, the Terre Haute, Indianas. That's where you think it's going to be like living the life of an MMJ, but it's actually branching out into more medium markets. It was like that my in my market. I was in market 70 something and I looked it up. Tori Yorke was actually working in a pretty decent sized market. It's market 70 something too. And they're asking people to do solo live shots. They're asking people to do MMJ work. So I think the the conversation needs to be had right at the very beginning that this is what you can expect if you get into this business. Yeah, I think think the onus is also on the college professors and maybe even creating, and we talked about this in my podcast, is maybe creating some curriculum to educate, you know, at the college level on contract negotiations, on interviewing, on what questions to ask about policies and safety and, and, you know, putting the onus on not only, you know, the new journalists entering, entering the business, but also giving them the tools and the education enough to know how to ask these questions at a college level from college professors, you know, let's like, I didn't go, I went, I didn't know anything about a contract, you know, when I went into the business, like, let's talk about that. Let's talk about when you should get an attorney or an agent or, or, you know, what that looks like and how to talk about salary negotiations and, and, and how to really arm new journalists who are entering the business with this education on what to ask before they take their first job. And so there, to my knowledge, there is no college curriculum that is offering that type of education. So I would say, you know, even there, let's, let's, let's also talk about that and how we can reshape higher education when it comes to broadcast journalism and what kind of curriculum should be added to educate the students that are in these programs on 
how the practical things that come along with working in the industry. You know, I don't think that there's any college curriculum at this point that that um, that does that. And so why why isn't there? Why, you know, why can't there be? Those are the questions I'm asking. These journalists have what you and I didn't have maybe several years ago, and that is the ability to get on LinkedIn and really get to ask those questions. And there's a much larger social media presence now. So the tools are certainly out there for the students, and I hope that they take advantage of that because they'd be crazy not to. The time to ask these questions is when you're in college. Don't wait until you, like I did, when you had that internship and you thought, okay, I've got my demo reel. Where's the first station going to call and when am I going to really trailblaze in this business? Which none of that, unfortunately, happened. Yeah, I, I, you know, maybe they can, maybe colleges can have guest speakers come in and have these be like, you know, workshops or seminars if they're not familiar with it, you know, themselves or haven't worked in a newsroom. I don't know. There's ways, right? There's ways. Uh, I just don't know that the initiative is being taken at the college level and it should be. That's, that's where I stand. I hope that you and I have really lit a fire with uh, your podcast and mine. And I really appreciate you for coming on and talking about all of this. I hope that we're on the way to change because it needs to happen because we don't need to have something even worse happen next time when a reporter is in front of a camera and something even worse than getting knocked over by a car in Tori Yorgi's case occurs. I hope that uh, the change has begun with that. I hope so too. And, you know, I commend you for, and thank you for reaching out to me to continue this, you know, in-depth conversation about this, something that's, you know, really important. And like you mentioned, I'm just trying to save a life. I don't want to see anyone, anyone else die while doing their job, you know, and, and, and that's, or get injured or feel like they don't have the, the, the proper safety or equipment or policies that, you know, are going to support them. And so I commend you and thank you for having me on your show. And I hope this can, you know, this conversation continues in some way. And there is, you know, if there is a needle, it, it moves in some way in a positive direction. That's really only, the only goal with all of this conversation is to, to really just help save, you know, lives and, and, and protect the journalists that are working in the business today. That's really my only goal. Nicole Val, thank you so much for making the time this week. It has been a pleasure to talk to you. And I hope we can do this again really soon because there's a lot more that you and I can touch on in this business for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on, Jeff. I appreciate it.